how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. As an actor, improviser, and photographer, Jason Weiner took an adventurous route that led to his work as a director. He's known for his work on the film Arthur and shows like New Girl, The Crazy Ones, Life in Pieces, and even for directing the pilots for both Modern Family and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. His latest film, Ode to Joy, is a fresh take on the romantic comedy, starring Martin Freeman and Marina Bakarin. The story actually comes from a segment on Chicago's This American Life. The official summary reads, Charlie suffers from cataplexy, a symptom of narcolepsy that causes sudden bouts of paralysis whenever he experiences strong emotions, such as joy. In this interview, Weiner discusses his route to the director's chair, why technical aspects can wait, how directing television helped him make decisions quickly, the complications of the studio business, the importance of camaraderie on set, and how to make an original obstacle in a genre film. Way back when. Well, um, you know, unlike some kids who were, you know, making films about their trains, you know, when they were, I mean, that's the famous, the famous story with Spielberg. Like, I, I wasn't, I didn't know that directing was my trajectory. I, I studied like a variety of other things. I was, I was into acting and, and, you know, I, I studied and uh, photography. I supported myself as a photographer for a while. Um, I did improv. Um, I was a writer and I didn't direct my first thing till I was 29. But the second I did, I was like, my God, this is the thing that combines all the other things I've been doing my entire life. And from that moment on, I was obsessed. What are some of maybe the, you know, the unknown benefits of kind of taking that more of an exploratory route? And is that something you recommend to, you know, other people who want to be directors as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think just like in general, we've become too specialized in our, our, our pursuits early in life. You know, we're in a world where everybody has access to the specific thing they might be interested in. And one of the, you know, sort of unintended downsides of that is that we don't get a broad range of experiences. Uh, and so, so yeah, you know, I, I went to Northwestern University and they, they came to me with a group of um, a group of students at one point and said, this is this new program we have uh, about single camera directing for television. Will you talk to them? And I was like, sure, but you might not like what I have to say. <laughs> and they came to see me in my office and I, I said, 
I think you guys should drop out of this program. It's far too specific. You know, study Shakespeare, study, study history, study writing. Like, there's plenty of time to learn the technical aspects of writing for television or filmmaking. Uh, you know, my experience is that you can learn the technical aspects of that stuff relatively quickly. And, and what's been a, a huge advantage for me is, like, all the other things I, I learned accidentally along the way. What are some of the things you picked up? It looks like you've spent some time uh, making like independent films, but also lots of television. How did that kind of help you kind of better your craft as a director? Yeah, I mean, I think the superpower you have to cultivate as a TV director is like, you not only have to make something great, but you have to make something great really fast. So you have to make quick decisions. And, and, you know, I, 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 have, I made one studio movie, and when you make a studio movie, you have so much money and support, it kind of like, it takes away the need to make decisions that fast. The whole thing kind of plods along. And I really was exhilarated by the idea of making a movie for as little money as we made Ode to Joy, where you have to do it fast. And that, and that, and I, I, I found that doing it, I was like, this is exactly like what I've done in television. You got to be, you got to be fast, and you got to be right, right away. Where do you kind of think that confidence came from, as far as entering the field and, and putting yourself in positions where you have to make so many quick decisions, and there's so much responsibility behind it? I, I, in my life, when it comes to deciding what pair of socks to wear, I, I'm like, I'm like frozen. It can take me like a ridiculous amount of time to decide. And at some point, my mom knows this about me, and she's laughed at me, essentially, when, when I, I got into this line of work and she came to understand all the decisions I was making all the time. And she's like, you, you can't make the simplest decision your whole life. The hardest thing, you can't decide what you want to have for lunch. Well, how do you do this? How is it that this is what you do? And I said, Mom... It's because, weirdly, when I'm directing, it doesn't feel like I'm making decisions. It feels like there's a painting, and I can see the painting, but not everybody can see it yet. And all I'm doing is describing what color goes where. That's interesting. So what, what led you to Ode to Joy? Uh, it's a very different type of story. It's very interesting. What, kind of, what, what made you want to take on that project? Mike Falbo is one of the producers, found this piece that uh, This American Life did about this disorder called cataplexy, which I had never heard of. Most people have never heard of it, but it actually affects one in, in 3,000 people. No, one in 2,000 people, 3 million people worldwide. So, so it's rare, but it's not that rare. Um, and it, it, it's real. It, it, it's related to narcolepsy, the form of narcolepsy, but it's triggered by extreme emotion. So basically what happens is if you experience frustration, anger, or in the case of our character in, in Ode to Joy, happiness, you, you experience extreme muscle weakness to the point of actually collapsing. And, and so you can imagine how difficult it would be to fall in love and experience the euphoria of that. It'd be, it'd be weirdly torturous. And we thought, wow, what a fascinating, weird, and original 
obstacle in a romantic comedy. Both, both Mike Falbo and I are huge fans of the genre, but felt that over the years, you know, it's sort of the romantic comedy has petered out to a certain extent because we've run out of original reasons why a couple that we're rooting for can't be together. And here we looked at ourselves and was like, this is, this is an obstacle we've never seen before. It seems kind of like when I first saw it, it's such a high concept idea. It almost like changes, you know, like it's, it's very obvious what the jokes could be, but it's because there's such a strong foundation, which I haven't really seen before, you know. What were some of the challenges with this film? Was, was, it, um, was it very obvious right away, as you mentioned, or was it, did it seem difficult as far as like working with the writers to get the right script and everything for it? It was actually very difficult to get this made. We, we, you mentioned the high concept, and because it had a high concept, we first thought of it as a studio movie, and Max Werner, myself, and Mike Falbo pitched this to, to Sony, to the, to the big studio, and they bought it way back when as a, as a studio movie. And, you know, in the one year it took to develop and write the script for them, their production model just completely changed. When the script went in, they were like, this is amazing. It's everything you guys promised us in the pitch. We're so excited about how you've executed the, the script, but we don't make this budget-level movie anymore. It just literally disappeared as, as something that major studios did in that exact time. And so, we were so they were gracious about letting us have the script back, and we set about putting it together independently. But when you're doing that, you're sending it around to agents without money offers, and you're, you're sort of begging them to read it, trying to make fans of the script throughout Hollywood, and then, you know, it takes time for actors to read it. And it's not exactly a priority for anybody when they're not getting a script with a money offer. Um, and it was, you know, to Martin Freeman's great credit that he read it and responded to the role and was excited about the quality of the writing and the originality of the concept. Um, and we really connected talking about the character. And, and it was his involvement that allowed us to put the rest of the thing together and finally shoot it after seven years of trying. So what were some of, you, know, you mentioned this is a, a disorder most people are not familiar with, but it's still a very relatable subject. Like in, in real life, most people don't go for it and, and ask the girl out or, or whatever it is. Can you kind of talk about how you, you know, showcased this disorder, but also made it very relatable to all audiences? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was, like, immediately apparent to us was that as specific as this disease was, it also sort of functioned in our story as a metaphor for being afraid of happiness, which is, I think, something that all of us can relate to. We've all gotten in the way of our own happiness at times in life where, like, the, the notion of succeeding, the notion of allowing ourselves to feel something or allowing ourselves to fall in love just seems too scary. You know, Morena's character is experiencing that in a completely different way for a completely different reason, but it really is the same fear. And so... Hopefully, like I said, though the disease is specific, the, the metaphor that it represents, that fear of happiness, is, is a really relatable theme. 
So you mentioned the, the quick decision making after that, that year of kind of shopping it around. How long did you actually, um, like how long was the filming schedule and everything else? How many days or? Yeah, well, because we had a limited amount of money, we had to shoot fast and we shot the whole film in Brooklyn in 18 days. What was probably the most challenging part of that for you? Does anything stand out or is it just kind of like you mentioned, just uncovering this picture? Probably the hardest day was shooting actually that opening sequence at the wedding, to be honest, because it was it was like 104 degrees and a thousand percent humidity. And it was it was actually very early in our schedule before our our company had really gotten into a rhythm. It was definitely the first week. And man, that was a tough day. But I give our cast and crew so much credit. Nobody was making any money. The actors didn't even have trailers. But we had that sense of like, we're all in this together. We all believe in this story and we're going to pull together to make this thing. And there's this like summer camp feeling that emerges when you're making a movie with limited resources. And there's like no replacement for the bond that that creates. Can you talk a little more about, so you mentioned the studio liked it at first and they kind of changed their model. Can you talk about a little bit the industry as a whole, where there's not really a good middle movie so much. It seems like there's, you know, one or $2 million dollar, or less in indie movies, and then there's like, you know, $50 million in blockbusters. Um, where is the kind of indie movie, or that middle movie, where is that going these days? Yeah, I think the blockbuster has become so big and such a spectacle that it's created the feeling in moviegoers like, why should I pay the same price for a, a, an experience that isn't a spectacle? And right or wrong, I think that's how some people feel. So, you know, I think the streaming model uh, of movie making has, to a certain extent, reinstated that middle class. But the question is, is are those streamed, are we calling that television or movies? Uh, it's hard to say. But the whole, the whole thing is merging in kind of a strange way. I miss the communal experience of watching an emotional story in a theater. And I hope, you know, th this film is going to be available you know, for streaming uh, and downloads uh, on Amazon and iTunes at the same time as it is going to be in theaters in New York and L.A. But if enough people go see it in New York and L.A., then it opens in other cities the following weekend. I'm really hoping that happens because this is a, a movie that has a lot of really funny stuff and hopefully some touching stuff, too, that's really fun to experience together as an audience in a the theater. Well, I really enjoyed the film. I think we're coming up on time. Um... Do you have any just final advice for those who want to be writers or directors and really helping them kind of push original content and getting those films made? My advice for young people is related to the thing we were talking about earlier in, the, in, the, in our conversation, which is like, don't let your love of filmmaking prevent you from becoming a well-rounded person and, and, learning other things, exploring other things, because it's all those other things that ultimately make you special, that ultimately give you a story to tell. Um, and that, to some extent, is more important than learning the techniques and technical aspects of filmmaking. So that's sort of my advice to young filmmakers, and I heard some great advice. I think it was Spielberg who, who was asked about advice to filmmakers, and it was two words, sit down. <laughs> which I, if you've ever been on a set, it's like 
the funniest and best advice because you get so wrapped up in what you're doing, but you go, you know, your shooting days are longer than 12 hours and you're on your feet and engaged and it's intense for hours and hours and hours and you get so exhausted and bleary by the end that you need to remember to sit down whenever you can. It's actually great advice. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.